0: know that our marketing model is very different because we ignore assumptions that most people believe to be true. I'm Pepe I don't do fluff. I don't do
1: filler. I don't do emojis. What I do is study winners in B2B because I want to know how much is strategy, how much is luck, and how do they win. It's never been easier to start and build a business. Technological barriers of entering have come down, business building knowledge is widely available, there's more money than ever before. It's insane how many direct and indirect competitors there are to almost everyone. This week, meet contrarian, maverick, giant killer, Chris Walker, founder and CEO of demand generation
0: experts, Refined Labs. We're a demand generation consulting firm, slash agency, whatever you want to position that as. So how does Refine Labs differentiate? How
1: do they compete? In this episode, we'll learn all about the value of testing assumptions.
0: The strategy and tactics that we deliver are actually validated to work in this subset of the market. The difference between delivering content and collecting leads. Totally focused on building an audience and building brand. And the quickest way to to not do that well is to start thinking about things transactionally. And the power of ignoring the competition. I spend almost no time thinking about anybody that I compete with. Let's get into it. I started this company about two years ago. We're a firm that helps companies do demand generation. And I think the core of what we do is we help companies think differently about how to do it. And so companies have been running this whole MQL, nurture, outbound cold call type of sequence. We have a different marketing framework that we help companies implement.
1: So when you started the agency, how did you think you're going to win? How did you decide what what is the core offering here and how are we going to win with this?
0: I knew we were going to win because I worked at a lot of B2B companies before I started it. And at one particular company that was 30 million ARR Series D, I built the demand generation engine that we now help companies implement, which has been further and further refined and watched how much revenue growth happened at that company driven through the marketing. The company's marketing before I started there was doing sales enablement, build trade shows, help the sales team, do field marketing, go to big meetings, help sales team try and close, train them. The website was not good, inbound revenue was zero. And over the next two years, we had 35% of net new revenue and more of that than pipeline coming through in the company based on building a podcast, interviewing physicians, running Facebook ads to hospitals in 2016, delivering content, not collecting leads, figuring out how to measure that over time, like just in general, just being customer centric in terms of the marketing.
1: I built my company CXL on inbound marketing back when CXL was a conversion optimization agency now called Spiro. I knew that we were in the business of expertise and in order to show the world that you're the expert on something, you have to show it. Content is the best way to do it. I blogged like my life depended on it and I made it my goal to create the best content on conversion optimization. Every single blog post I shipped had to be the best ever written on the subject. This was in 2011. In addition to blogging, I made sure I was visible everywhere my target customers might come across me. I was doing a ton of webinars, being a guest on every podcast that would have me speak at every conference I could. I was creating and promoting new frameworks for conversion optimization, creating a community online and offline. I started two annual conferences. And by 2016, five short years later, I was acknowledged as the most influential name in conversion optimization. All the success was basically achieved with content.
0: So I watched that be successful. And then I left that company shortly before they IPO'd. And then I looked around in the world and saw how other companies were doing marketing. And I had tried all of those things before and I knew the difference in the success between these two different models. And so it was very clear to me that, that we just had a better mousetrap, so to speak, but it requires companies to have a lot of confidence that they can do it, right? There's a, it's almost like a leap of faith. Okay, we're gonna get rid of all of our thousands of leads even though none of those leads become customers. What are we gonna do then? How do we do it? How are we going to measure it? What do we actually do? And so we give executives a lot of confidence to move forward in a different model once they acknowledge that the current model was not doing them enough good.
1: Mm. So that sounds to me that this is basically kind of like creating a strategic narrative. What is happening in the world and your old vehicle to get to where you wanna go is broken and you need a new vehicle. As companies get bigger, they realize that they need to communicate less on features and more on story. Their narrative needs to be connected to a bigger idea, something big happening in the external world. Kind of like, the world used to be like this, but it has changed. The winners are adapting to this change, and losers are sticking to the old ways. And our company will help you succeed in this new reality. Of course, that's not the actual marketing copy, but you get the point. A fictional example would be selling a course. Let's say we have a course AI for marketers. Instead of talking about the course content and who the instructor is, We could sell it by leading with a narrative. AI and machine learning are unstoppable. It's going to change everything. The future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. There is no stopping this train. You can get on it or you can get left behind. Companies that adopt AI will overtake others and marketers that learn to work with AI will dominate. And here are all these examples of companies doing it. Now, this would make the course way more attractive. Comparing to the classic way, like, here's a course, AI for marketers, seven hours of video, top lecturers. Were you very intentional about telling this story as the foundation of your marketing or it just happened by coincidence
0: at the start? We know that our marketing model is very different because we ignore assumptions that most people believe to be true. And the narrative has come about through practice, through communication, through working with customers and understanding what they think. We didn't start with me in a room like building this on a little piece of paper and then saying this is our narrative. Our narrative actually continues to evolve. But I do believe that this is a core strategic narrative framework. This is what you're doing right now. You believe in MQLs. You must have direct attribution on channels in order to do that. When you run paid, it must collect leads, like all these assumptions that do not need to be true. To doing this instead, which is buyer focused, measuring the full funnel, looking at the entire marketing mix in terms of the overall impact. Those are the things that we believe in. I like it. So how did
1: you start getting the word out in terms of the marketing and telling your story that you know MQL is a broken and et cetera?
0: Yeah. I because of the success that I had in previous companies with content and distribution, mainly on social platforms, not in search. I started to lean into that initially, I actually was leaning into Instagram. And so that was the first channel that we tried. And I was moving into LinkedIn as well, mainly into comment, this is like, we got our first two customers through comments that I left on LinkedIn. And then those people saw my comments said, Oh, this person now is the CEO of this company not working at the as a person at this company. I worked with them before I'm going to give I'm going to give him a shot. And so that's how I got the first couple customers. And then the comments started to get some traction, which gave me confidence to post. And then I started posting. And I, to be honest, talk a lot about marketing fundamentals. I believed at the beginning, like, oh, a lot of marketers like know these things. Like what I'm saying is super elementary. And what I found is that it's not the case. I believe in the basics a lot especially on the marketing strategy side, segmentation, like messaging, understanding your customers deeply, how to do qualitative market research. I believe in those things a lot. It allows you to do tactical execution very well. And then once that started to pick up and I had some attention, then I started to, and we had three or four customers. It was, who is the actual ideal customer for this? Because none of our customers look the same. We started to look at who is the ideal customer. And we looked at, most people will look at like, industry or company size or different things like that and i looked more at mindset and organizational sophistication as a couple of different like psychographic ways but now how would you assist those things through having conversations with people by communicating things that i believe in having them come in having a conversation with them and then understanding whether or not they believe in the same things that we do and over time just I find that more and more people believe the things that we do, that we do. But one of the tactical things that I did was I had I knew that SaaS was the right category for us. We had a, two of our most successful customers that were there, recurring revenue model business, sales led. I started to do a video podcast show with SaaS CMOs. From Refine Labs, this is State of Demand Gen. Hey everyone, welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. This is your host Chris Walker. So I would interview SAS CMOs on that show, and then I got to understand how they thought.
1: This is great. Interviews and podcasts aren't just a way to position yourself as a thought leader or to make contacts. It can be also a means of gathering intel on your ideal customer.
0: I was getting to understand what those people are like, what they care about, how they measure their marketing, what they're doing, what's working, what's not working. It gave me a very good sense about what's going on. It allowed me to further identify or further narrow in on the ICP, further narrow in on what the product offering should be. To win, your company has to
1: be the best at something. There's just no way around it. Being okay is just not cutting it. The customer has too much choice. But you can't be objectively better for everyone. You have to choose. You need to be the best at creating winning customer value for a particular set of customers. Or you are destined to be overtaken by a competitor who is. Strategy is about choice. Deciding where to play and plotting a pathway to win in that game. You can't win without being the best. You need to focus your resources on constantly improving your customer value and refining your customer targeting. Choose your customers and build the best for them. The best doesn't mean highest quality. It's whatever that group of customers you sell to cares a lot about. The ability to innovate on customer value at high speed must be a core capability of your company. And it's impossible to do so if your company is targeting all revenues indiscriminately. If you treat all revenues as equally
0: desirable, you don't have a strategy. That's what separates winners from losers. From there, continued to lean further into video, video then evolved because of the just operational constraints that we have as the business grows. I moved to podcast, which then creates the video for me on autopilot, and then we can publish that. And now we have both the podcast and LinkedIn cadence running along with a marketing team here that's posting on the company page and organizing events, and other people are posting the company. And so we've been able to sort of like scale out both in terms of channels and in terms of it's not just me anymore you know communicating stuff and so that's sort of at the high level been the progression on our communication strategy
1: awesome uh, I have multiple follow-up questions on this one is like i always tell people if you're a consultant understand that you're in the business of expertise and hence you need to show it so was showing and demonstrating your expertise a strategic move on your part from the get-go
0: it was It really clicked for me in like July of 2019. So when my LinkedIn performance started to really pick up, the first thing that I thought is I need to understand this channel better than anybody else because perhaps the CMO of Salesforce is going to want somebody's advice and I'm going to be the only one that has it. And so I started to take that lens. I pushed the boundaries in LinkedIn. I posted eight times in a day to see what would happen. I moved to video. I do a lot of creative things to understand how the channel will respond that a lot of other people would never do we model the behavior that we believe our customers should behave with. We show them what best in class looks like, which then attracts them to us if they appreciate the marketing. It also demonstrates expertise clearly. To be direct, there are a lot of marketing agencies out there and a lot of them are very bad at marketing themselves, which doesn't make sense to me. I understand that the platforms are different too. And so when people cross post, I find it very lazy because like, the same piece of content that I post on LinkedIn would not do as well on Instagram.
1: So I saw Jason Lemkin post the other day that he's cross-posting his stuff to LinkedIn and Twitter. And the Twitter uh, stuff converts four times better to leads for his Sastra stuff. Are you seeing any, anything like that, LinkedIn compared to
0: Twitter? I don't think about any one post as something that I'm trying to get someone to convert on. So it, I would never measure that. I'm never in transactional mode. I'm not like, this post needs to get me three leads. I post a lot of different information. I allow people to be ready to buy. And then when they want to have a conversation, people are smart. Like B2B buyers are educated. When they want something, they know where to find us. So that's the approach that I take. And so I, don't, I just don't measure it at that level because I am totally focused on building an audience and building brand which has been working incredibly well for us. And the quickest way to, to not do that well is to start thinking about things transactionally. Brands should double down on building
1: personal brands inside their companies. Not just encourage your people to be visible, but be personal brands first. People wanna hear from people more than brands and brands benefit from being associated with that person. If you look at TikTok, all top accounts are personalities, not cat videos. Tesla does zero dollars in advertising, and Elon has 50 million followers. 100 times more people wanna hear from Dave Gerhardt rather than his previous employer Privy. People wanna watch Gordon Ramsay, not just a cooking show.
0: Should we talk about the duck? What the fuck did you put in that sauce? It's like some fucking sci-fi sperm.
1: Agencies, in particular benefit from this as they get hired for their expertise. Because I wanna hire the best expert. Most agencies would get 10x the results by promoting their personal brands inside a company rather than their company. In a way, it's a lot like pro sports. There's the team brand and the athlete. Pro teams can build the brand of athletes, cash in on merchandising their brand, and top athletes can further build the brands of the team. I did it for my personal brand when I was growing my agency, and Chris is doing the same now. So you're, you're killing it uh, on LinkedIn, obviously. What other insights do you have about the LinkedIn as a platform, especially for agencies? What are you doing that others are not doing and where are you out executing them?
0: I believe that I we out-execute on, one, the content pillar from a podcast into LinkedIn and then back to the podcast. like That flow in terms of how to create content consistently, how to post it a lot, how to get more people into long-form content on a podcast through that loop is something that a lot of people can't do. Next, post-frequency. At the beginning, I posted every day from two, mid-2019 to mid-2020. Now I'm at four to five posts a week. The frequency and the consistency matter on LinkedIn. If you're looking to grow, I know a lot of people will say that it doesn't. It definitely does. I don't think a lot of people are committed enough to the channel or to content creation in general, especially someone as the CEO. They wouldn't do the things that I'm willing to do because it's our primary go-to-market. We don't have a sales team. It's our primary go-to-market to get revenue. I'm actively bringing new people into my network, which gives me more people that are quote unquote followers that get exposed to the content and I selectively choose them based on they are active on the platform. They engage with content consistently. They're going to like my type of content. They engage with the content and I get exposed to the second and third degree networks because I select my network. Those are three tips that we've been been using. And lastly, you got to have something valuable to say. I, I believe a lot of people listen to my content is because a lot of people use the information and it helps them. And so I think a a lot of other like consultants would say, oh, I'm not going to people pay me for this information. I'm not going to give it away. Like the same thing that our customers that pay $25,000 a month for, I'd say the same thing in my video on LinkedIn.
1: Well, what's the dream? So you've come uh, quite a long way from uh, in two years. uh, What's the dream in five years and, and beyond?
0: The dream long term and who knows what the time frame is on it is to... Empower marketers to to use a different marketing model. So to break free from the serious decisions demand waterfall. Uh, the serious decisions demand waterfall has been around for over a decade. It's a standard methodology that many of the biggest and best brands in the world have adopted. Being poorly implemented in companies that is incredibly transactional, that's incredibly sales focused, that doesn't align with how buyers buy. To break that model and give companies an alternative way to do marketing. So build a new demand generation framework, essentially. It's notoriously hard to differentiate
1: agencies. A strong point of view is one way to do it. Someone having a well-articulated, clear point of view is very attractive. When someone cares way more than me about how certain things should be handled, that's hot. Chris Walker has a point of view on how demand gen has to get done and what all is wrong with the status quo. Talking about his point of view feels him with endless content ideas, and helps differentiate refined labs. By contrast, people and companies with no particular POV are less interesting and get less attention and share of mind. Spend time on your point of view. It's
0: a living, breathing piece of work for sure. So maintain it as such. So one, we would be competing with Serious Decisions. What Serious Decisions does is they provide a model framework, and then they allow all the MarTech vendors. That's Adobe, Salesforce, HubSpot, and so on to tell them what the tactical strategy should be to accomplish that strategy. I believe a lot of that information is not strong. I believe that it's biased. And so trying to give people a connection between this is your strategy and these are the tactics that we're running on 100 SaaS companies right now that are like you that actually work. We know that they work because we just ran them on 100 companies. This is how you do it. And so being able to distribute that IP to companies, I think is very valuable long term. And then the last thing is working on a different way to build a framework for people to measure marketing in a different way that's not tied to direct attribution because it drives a lot of the wrong behaviors in marketing. And frankly, a lot of poor strategic decisions because executives think that attribution software gives them the strongest information, which is why a lot of people wouldn't do the things that I'm doing. You don't see a SaaS company going to market doing a podcast, heavy organic social influencer marketing They won't do those things because they're difficult to measure and so trying to build an analytics tool that will demonstrate the effectiveness of those programs which will be a technical challenge but something that we're interested in working on
1: so what i'm hearing is that you're clear on your infinite game so i want to have this kind of a a soft change in the world marketers realize what's working or not working but then you have a, a more finite game which is like okay Taking on serious decision, going after some of their pie, how are you going to win against them? I think they've got deeper pockets than you do,
0: but they are vulnerable because of a core part of their business model, where. I believe that the advice is flawed. There's always parts in a business model where it's very vulnerable. And the vulnerability here is that this company has a model that doesn't get updated. They don't do the actual work to know whether or not it's working anymore. And they allow technology vendors to pay them to tell them what the strategy should be. We will win because the strategy and tactics that we deliver are actually validated to work in this subset of the market. And that's the competitive advantage.
1: And they wouldn't adjust course because the current incentives they have in place are then too strong to evolve.
0: That's why most companies break because they, or why they become vulnerable is because they grow to a level and then all they do is focus on trying to get their core products more profitable, not rethink about whether or not they need a different product to disrupt themselves. You could go and look at Boston Consulting or McKinsey at the same time, like consulting groups provide advice And they're very bad at the tactical execution and agencies provide tactical execution and they let their customers tell them whatever to do. And they're very bad at thinking about strategy. And so a company that can actually do both is a very large opportunity because the strategy and the tactics work together to evolve over time. The playbook that we were running six months ago is nowhere close to what we do right now. We consistently update it. And so an SEO agency wouldn't do that. They're just going to keep doing SEO. And so by not being tied to channels, by being invested in in, uh, customers like CRM, pipeline revenue results, unlike other companies, like those are some of the core things that we do that allow us to innovate.
1: Naming things gives things power. So have you named your methodology something? Have you branded
0: it? We call it the demand acceleration framework. The idea is you have customers right now that are coming to your website and asking to buy and those prospects are converting to become a customer somewhere between two and 8% depending on how good you are at doing that. Our goal is to accelerate the amount of people that run through that flow. That's what we do. We use a variety of different channels to get people educated to move through that process and go while maintaining the conversion rates. It's very easy to shove a bunch of people through a demo form and degrade the conversion rates and get no more revenue. And so by maintaining pipeline conversion rates to revenue is one of the most challenging things while you scale. That's the framework that we have right now.
1: Let's talk about moats. There are other you know, younger agencies looking at what you're doing. Oh, I might do some of that stuff. And they'll start doing exactly the same things. And some of those people are actually pretty good at executing. Maybe they're not here yet, but a year from now. So what kind of moats are you building up? And are you thinking about moats?
0: I spend almost no time thinking about anybody that I compete with. I spend all my time focused on my customer. My customer tells me the gaps in what they are getting right now, whether it's my customer or in discovery calls or in the market. It's very clear if you listen. You don't need to spend any time on competitors if you listen to your customer because they'll tell you all the things that are missing that they're not getting right now. And that's where I spend most of my time. And so in terms of moat, the moat is our brand. The moat is the results from our customers. The moat is what our customers say about when they've been with us for 12 months, how much we've impacted their revenue. So that's all that I need. And so it's a very, very focused strategy on a moat. Our product continues to evolve because we're close to our customer. And so the product is also a piece too. But I recognize that the execution is actually a commodity. The way that we think, the IP that we have, the way that we move, the way that we look inside of the CRM those things are difficult to replicate because we move too fast for anyone to catch us and the brand is way too strong for someone to come in from the bottom and catch up to us. And so that is the way that we, that's the way that I think about strategy in general. I spend very little time thinking about competitors. I spend all my time looking at what customers are doing.
1: Boom, all right. Thanks so much for coming on, Chris. This is a blast, thanks. What were the three key strategic decisions Chris and Refine Labs made in order to grow and succeed? One, they offered different strategic and
0: tactical approach to their competitors. I looked around in the world and saw how other companies were doing marketing, and I knew the difference in the success between these two different models. Two, they were not transactional. They focused on building relationships and providing valuable content. The same thing that our customers that pay $25,000 a month for, I'd say the same thing in my video on LinkedIn. Three, they focused on the unique needs of their specific
1: customer, not on the competition.
0: You don't need to spend any time on competitors if you listen to your customer because they'll tell you all the things that are missing that they're not getting right now. Bonus idea. If there's
1: no value or substance to what you're offering, then you're dead in the water. All the tactics and strategies in the world won't save you. Like I've said before, you can't put a lipstick on a pig. You got to have something valuable to say. That's how you win. For more tips on how to win, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter.